From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, the role of intraocular pressure variation in the development of open-angle glaucoma. It is the maximum IOP that is the most consistent predictor, not the mean IOP, of uh, development of, of open-angle glaucoma. First this. ASCRS is pleased to offer CME credit for listening to select podcast, and today's podcast has been designated for CME credit. This activity has been planned and implemented in accordance with the accreditation requirements and policies of the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME. ASCRS is accredited by the ACCME to provide continuing medical education for physicians. ASCRS designates this Enduring Materials podcast for a maximum of one-half AMA PRA Category 1 credits. And listeners can claim credit by going to ASCRS.org slash podcast slash 390. That's ASCRS.org slash podcast slash 390. After logging in with your ASCRS credentials, simply pass the short post-test to receive your credit. Ophthalmologists who complete this activity will be able to discuss results and conclusions from a 2018 study designed to assess the role of intraocular pressure variation in the development of open-angle glaucoma. Neither Dr. Young nor Dr. Varma has any financial interests in the content. All of us know that elevated intraocular pressure is associated with the development of open-angle glaucoma. We also understand that the higher the intraocular pressure, the greater the risk of developing glaucoma in ocular hypertensives, all else being equal. But I'll tell you the truth. This description really bothers me. It seems to me that it is more a depiction of the form of the disease than anything we encounter in clinical practice. We don't really know what the patient's intraocular pressure is, aside from the instant at which we measure it. Imagine trying to assess climate change by checking the temperature outside at one instant of the day, four times a year, and even that time of day is not consistent measurement to measurement. We could, of course, make an assessment of climate change based upon these measurements, but how many years and hundreds of measurements would it take us? Should we just give up then? Rohit Pharma has a different approach to this problem. Perhaps we can get a handle on intraocular pressures as a whole by measuring intervisit variability. Now, variability can be a lot of things. It can be the range of intraocular pressures, it can be the standard deviation of intraocular pressures, or it can be any one of a number of assessments of variability. But even once we've settled upon a measurement of variability, the question arises, does intraocular pressure variability really correspond to open-angle glaucoma risk? The only way to really assess this is with a large and long-term study, and that is why I'm so happy to have Rohit Varma as my guest today. There is, of course, a long-established association between intraocular pressure and open-angle glaucoma. There are 
however, more aspects to intraocular pressure than a single measurement or or even the uh, mean of a, of a number of measurements. We're going to be talking about intraocular pressure variability, so it bears defining what variability means. Can I get you to define intraocular pressure variability for me? Variability um, is defined as the change of intraocular pressure over the short term, which is transient change in IOP occurring over the course of a day, which is called as diurnal change, or over a longer term, which is change in intraocular pressure that occurs over days, months, weeks, or years. And uh, what we have learned over the last few years is that intraocular pressure cannot be characterized just by a single number. It's more important to look at trends. It's more important to look at changes. It's more important to look at the course of intraocular pressure over time to get a true sense of its, its impact on the optic nerve. While we're defining terms, what is the difference, if there is any, between intraocular pressure amplitude of variability, intraocular pressure range, and standard deviation of intraocular pressure? Right. So essentially, range is the difference between the highest recorded intraocular pressure and the lowest recorded intraocular pressure. So it's usually a whole number and it usually, you know, is in the three to six millimeter um, range, if you will, you know, level. Uh, the standard deviation is a statistical term which, which you have to calculate and what what it assumes, the underlying assumption when you calculate a standard deviation is that the distribution of the pressures that you include is going to be a Gaussian or a normal distribution. Um, and only then can you calculate a true standard deviation. And what we know well over uh, multiple studies is that um, intraocular pressure is not normally distributed. It is a skewed measurement. And so the use of standard deviation is not completely statistically accurate, but it um, has been used as a measure, if you will, of uh, central um, deviation. That, that means how much the intraocular pressure varies over time. And it you, 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 usually, well, it's calculated in terms of two decimal points beyond the number. So like 2.83 or 2. you know, whatever it may be. But, uh, and it's not of that number which can be easily calculated in the clinic. So it's not a very user-friendly uh, measure when you're taking care of patients as the range is. The range is very easy to know because you can always record what was the lowest IOP and what is um, IOP which is at the peak and, and, and uh, take the difference between the two. Also, what happens in terms of intraocular pressure ranges that you see what the extreme values are, how low it gets and how high it gets. Uh, with standard deviation, you don't know that. You have to calculate it and make 
some assumptions which are not always true. So, Intraocular pressure variability has been addressed in a number of previous studies with conflicting results. Can I get you to describe the findings regarding intraocular pressure variability in, in CGITs, Aegis, in the Diagnostic Innovations in Glaucoma Study, the Malmo Ocular Hypertension Study, the European Glaucoma Prevention Study, and the Ocular Hypertension Treatment Study. I know that's a big bill for uh, you to fill, but but I, I'm 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 interested what the, the 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 different conclusions were. The conclusions have been different in different studies, in fact, and in general, most of these. Studies. In fact, almost all of them are either clinical trials or they are cohorts, meaning they are groups of patients that have been collected uh, by with specific um, characteristics in mind. So, um, the collaborative initial glaucoma treatment study and the advanced glaucoma um, intervention study were both uh, um, clinical trials uh, which were done with specific interventions and their um, outcomes were measured in terms of intraocular pressure and visual field loss um, and optic nerve change, but mainly visual field loss and intraocular pressure. Both of those studies, the SIGITS and the AGIS studies, found that intraocular variation uh, was related uh, to uh, progression of visual field loss, meaning that the greater the variation of intraocular pressure, uh, the greater um, is the progression of visual field loss. And um, and it showed that particular measures of um, variation uh, predicted uh, higher risk of progression. Um, the Malmo study, uh, the OAT study, and um, others, in fact, um, essentially uh, showed that uh, long-term variation or variation in IOP uh, was not associated with glaucoma progression. Um, ours is one of the only studies uh, that, that has been done uh, which looked at a population-based sample, uh, meaning that these were not selected based on any criteria. These were just people who lived in a particular geographic area uh, that we went and we studied 80% of all the people who were aged 45 years and older in a particular geographic area. And what we did was we followed them over time and looked at the variation in intraocular pressure in our study. What was the the question that this study sought to answer? And I can can I get you to describe the design of your study, right? What we wanted uh, to um, assess was uh, that whether in a population-based sample of individuals, whether measures of intraocular pressure variation were associated with the risk of developing a open angle glaucoma. 
which means the risk of developing damage to the optic nerve and visual field loss. And we, what we specifically wanted to know was whether there were specific measures of IOP variation, such as standard deviation, the range of, of IOP, the maximum intraocular pressure or the mean intraocular pressure, which one of these or which, which sets of measurements were related to the risk of actually developing damage to the optic nerve. And the design of the study was that it is a population-based cohort study of uh, self-identified um, individuals who were aged 45 years and older living in a particular city in LA, um, in LA County in California. Uh, and what we did was we did a baseline examination and then went back and, and followed them four years later. Um, and what we did at each of the two visits was we took three measurements of intraocular pressure at baseline and did the same thing with that follow-up. So there were six measures of intraocular pressure. And what we did was we did visual fields and optic uh, disc um, um, assessments with, you know, uh, specific stereoscopic uh, photos of the optic disc and, and visual fields, both at baseline and at follow-up. And we, we looked at which group of patients went on to develop visual field loss and or optic nerve damage and whether that visual field loss and or optic nerve change was associated with a measure of intraocular pressure variation. So that's what the design of the study was. And what we found was that indeed uh, measures of intraocular pressure variation uh, were in fact associated uh, with uh, development of damage uh, to the optic nerve, including visual field loss. And this was present not just in people who had usually low intraocular pressures, uh, but, but also in people who had high intraocular pressures at um, baseline. Um, and that a greater variation in, in intraocular um, pressure was damaging to people with lower baseline intraocular pressures and that the maximum IOP, which is the peak IOP which was recorded, was the most consistent predictor of the development of damage to the optic nerve and visual field. Um, and that peak intraocular pressure or maximum intraocular um, pressure uh, is, um, if you will, um, an important measure for clinicians to um, key, keep in mind when they are treating um, individuals because that high IOP, even though it's recorded at one particular well, the point in time, is predictive of damage and should not be just sort of um, explained away and then have the patient come back because when you see those peaks in IOP, those are uh, sentinel, um, if you will, events that reflect the potential for damage developing in those people. Now, let's sort of break this down. Since you found that higher IOP variability is correlated uh, with with glaucoma, um, since higher intraocular pressure itself is correlated with higher intraocular pressure variability, could not higher variability simply be a surrogate for a higher mean intraocular pressure? 
Right. So we, you know, it is, it's not always easy to tease that, that apart. Uh, but what we did do was we did measure mean IOP and we did look at whether or not mean IOP was um, a, a good predictor or a better predictor than um, the maximum IOP or the standard deviation of IOP or the range of IOP. And what we found was that statistically, in fact, it is the maximum IOP that is the most consistent predictor, not the mean IOP um, of development of, of open angle glaucoma in these in, in these individuals. Um, so um, yes, while one may think that a greater uh, variability occurs in those with higher mean mean IOPs, but in fact, uh, mean IOP was was really not predictive. Uh, in, in individuals that had, on average, low, low IOPs, it was only predicted in those who had high um, IOPs to start with, meaning th- th- those individuals who had intraocular pressures of 15 millimeters or more. Um, um, and it was only the maximum IOP or the peak IOP that was consistently predictive across the range of baseline intraocular um pressures. And so it's why I don't think it's a surrogate for mean IOP, and which is what we showed with our data. Now, since higher intraocular pressure variability generally means a higher intraocular pressure range, and perhaps a, a, a well, since it's a high range, a, a higher peak pressure, does intraocular pressure variability tell us anything that peak pressure doesn't inform us? Um. So um, you know the the range is is the difference between the highest IOP and the lowest IOP, whereas the peak IOP is just a measure of the highest IOP which is recorded. Um, and so you are seeing one side, if you will, of that of the amplitude of intraocular pressures. And at least statistically, what we found was that it is at that higher end that uh, damage consistently seems to occur. Uh, And so that peak IOP is the most consistent measure that predict the development of damage than the range, which is the difference between the lowest IOP and the highest IOP. Um, what the underlying physiology is and why this ha- happens, we don't know. Uh, but statistically, in fact, that's what we were able to show in our data, that it is not the range. While the range is important, but it's not, not the range which is consistently associated with damage. It is that peak IOP, the IOP at the higher end of the range that is consistently associated with the development of optic nerve damage. Now, certainly external events can influence and an apparent IOP variability. And what I'm thinking about are patients who underwent cataract surgery during the study period. Won't they appear to demonstrate greater variability simply by virtue of having undergone surgery and having had some measurements taken prior to surgery and some measurements afterwards? Oh, yes. But we these are individuals where we um, I'm excluded those that had had prior intraocular 
surgery, if you will, because we knew that though those events would in fact um, impact um, the measurement of IOP or even the um, increase in IOP. So people that had had, for example, trabeculectomies or shunt procedures or lasers or or cataract extraction, um, all people who had had intraocular uh, surgery were actually excluded from. Now, I have a really practical question. In in my practice, it generally takes three years to get even a dozen intraocular pressure measurements. How many IOP measurements are required to accurately determine the intraocular pressure variability? So I think it's important to get uh, around six measurements. And I think it's important that um, when one first begins to see patients, that one gets multiple measurements, uh, you know, not just of the intraocular pressure, but multiple visual field assessments, multiple assessments of the RNFL, because having a cluster of measurements early on in the course of disease uh, gives you the ability to then look at change and trends over time. And this has been shown for, for visual fields, uh, and we've, uh, and others have shown it for at IOP. So, you know, given that these variations are important, it's important, it, it, it would be good to get multiple measurements early on when you're seeing patients uh, uh, than just sort of, you know, see them every six months or, you, you know, you, you know, once a year, where um, it's going to take a long time before you get an idea of the trend of what is happening in terms of IOP. And by then, people may have already lost vision or developed changes in their optic nerve and so on. That's particularly true uh, when you are suspicious of, you know, change occurring. It's even more more important to do, you know, the multiple measurements. Was IOP variability a greater risk factor for patients with lower mean IOPs or for higher mean IOPs? Both. In our study, it was both. There are other uh, studies, for example, in Aegis, it was important for those with lower mean IOPs. But in our study, it was both. And the particular measure, which was important, as I had said, was the maximum um, IOP, which, um, which, which was consistently there um, across the board. These are really neat findings. Why do you think there is an apparent discrepancy between your findings and those of earlier studies? Is it that yours has a study design that's, that's population-based? Well, all I can say is that one of the entire advantages that we have is that ours in large measure are people who are previously untreated uh, and it is a population-based sample. Those are the strengths of our study. Uh, and uh, But what would be good for, for us to have uh, would have been to have even more measurements if we could, uh, because it would give us greater strength in terms of the uh, number of measures of IOP, which we, which we can then try and correlate with the development of damage and loss. Uh, most of the other studies which which are there uh, usually are um, samples which have been selected for specific um, criteria or there are people who are being treated with particular uh, um, interventions either with drops or surgery or laser or some you know the, um, a combination of those. 
Now, I know that the pathophysiologic connection between elevated intraocular pressure and glaucoma has yet to be established a broad consensus, and so it's a bit unfair for me to ask you here, but I'd like to know your thoughts. Is it your sense that glaucoma is related to the chronic insult of an elevated intraocular pressure, to the inconsistencies of high intraocular pressure fluctuation, or to the peak unmeasured intraocular pressure that necessarily obtains from the finding of high intraocular pressure variability? So, you know, um, to be completely honest, I don't know the answer to that uh, because I think that we need to continue to study, uh, you know, what happens over time and have long-term measures of intraocular pressure variability um, which will give us a better, you know, handle on it. But I think what is true is that, you know, is that sheer sort of stress uh, which occurs with an elevation of IOP uh, perhaps could alter the cellular structure in the nerve and and in the surrounding tissues, including the sclera and so on, um, um, over time. And there have been studies by many, many individuals which have sort of shown that, that over time and with aging, uh, the, the, the scleral uh, components of the optic nerve get, get much more brittle um, and it becomes um, um, much more likely to lead to damage. And that also happens with, you know, chronic stress or, 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 or multiple insults, if you will, will to the optic nerve. So, um, for, for us, what these data say is that, you know, that stress and those stress and strain relationships, which happen with, um, elevations of IOP are important and, uh, cause damage to the nerve in some way. Exactly how that happens, um, I think still remains to be determined. But it has been shown not just in these studies, but also in non-human uh, primate that uh, variation in IOP uh, leads to um, damage of the optic nerve. Let me ask you a, a sort of practical bottom line question. Having made these really, really interesting findings, how do these findings inform your clinical practice? For example, do you set lower intraocular pressure goals for patients with higher intraocular pressure variability? Uh no, I don't do that. But what, what this does do is what this does tell me is that when I see patients uh, and I find that their IOP is high, um, and and in the past it was you know it was controlled, but at this visit when they come to see me it's high. Uh, I don't sort of try and explain it away as being non-compliance or you know something else. The drops don't work or whatever. I I pay real attention to it in the sense that. I use that as a sentinel event which says, hey, this patient now is much more likely to develop damage. And so I step up treatment at that point. I don't just sort of ignore it, if you will. I use it as an important marker of predicting that that patient is at higher risk of developing um, loss of the optic nerve or visual field loss. And so I actually step up treatment in those patients. Rohit, I want to thank you very much for, for bringing this really w wonderful practical stuff to us. Uh, and as always, for being so very generous with your time with us. Absolutely. Anytime. You take care, Josh. 
Rohit Varma is the Grace and Emery Beardsley Chair in Ophthalmology, Professor of Ophthalmology and Professor of Preventative Medicine at the Keck School of Medicine of the University of Southern California in Los Angeles, California. His paper, Variation in Intraocular Pressure and the Risk of Developing Open-Angle Glaucoma, the Los Angeles Latino Eye Study, appears in the April 2018 issue of the American Journal of Ophthalmology. Don't forget to go to ASCRS slash podcast slash 390 to complete the post-test and claim your CME credit for listening to this podcast. Ask questions of Dr. Varma or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at josh at iWorld.org. As seen from here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.